In this series that we are in is our, our Christmas series. We started last week. The name of our series is Joy to the World. And uh, in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at certain stories from the Gospel of Luke. So each Gospel overlap with other Gospels, but each Gospel has also some unique material, some stories that are not found in other Gospels. And so one of the things that we're doing in this series is we're looking at what is this joy that we are celebrating this Christmas season? Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What is the reason uh, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again? I trust that you're going to be blessed by the message this morning. The, the title of the sermon today is we're talking about Jesus the partier, okay? Now, some of you maybe didn't see that coming, um, but here's why I believe and why I think Luke believes Jesus was a partier. So, there was a time in Jesus' ministry where a number of religious leaders came to him and they said, Jesus, why are you doing X, Y, and Z? And Jesus had this way of, instead of just being straightforward and saying, hey, this is what I'm doing, he would like to tell stories. It'd be like if somebody came up to Robert and was like, hey, Robert, why do you do what you do? And he's like, well, once upon a time, there was these two women, right? Like, this is what Jesus, he tells these stories to explain what he's doing. So today, we're going to talk about three parties that Jesus used to describe his ministry. So we're going to be looking in, a, like I said, in Luke's gospel, we're going to be reading in Luke 15. Now, I don't usually read the entire chapter, um, but we are going to this morning. I know sometimes just as a public speaker, it's hard for an audience to listen to somebody read something for an extended period of time, uh, but really hone in on these words, and I believe you're going to be encouraged and blessed by the words this morning. So uh, Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I'll say this, it's a good thing I don't throw a party every time I lose and find something, or I'd be partying 24-7. So, uh, and Kelly said, Amen. So, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So, so Jesus, he's, he's hanging out with these sinners, with these shady types of characters that decent and respectable messiahs would not be caught with. And they say, Jesus, why are you doing these things? And so he tells them these three stories. Look at your neighbor and say, uno, dos, tres. You are all now fluent in Spanish. You're welcome. That was totally free. No extra charge. So Jesus tells these three stories. He says, there's this shepherd who's finding his sheep. There's a woman who's finding lost coins. There's a, a father who's finding lost sons. And so I want to focus in on this story about the younger brother and the older brother this morning. So what happens is these two brothers... They, they go to their father, and the younger one has this absurd thing to say. He says, listen, I want my share of the inheritance now. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but in that culture or in any culture, that's not cool. If, and some of you who are parents, you know this. If I went to my dad, and I was like, hey, dad, you're great, but if you were to die and I were to get all your money, that would be great. Like, that's a terrible thing to say. He's basically telling his dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were gone. Now, the father should have disowned him on the spot. That's what most of us would have done. How could you do that to me? Now, what the son did was shocking enough, but what's even more shocking is that the father goes along with it. He basically enacts his will, so he's, he's legally dead. He enacts his will, 
He's out of business. Everything that he owns is in the hands of his younger son and his older son. This guy's got nothing left. He's bankrupt. He's legally dead. He closed up shop. He's out of business. And it's crazy that the younger brother, he takes this. Now, it wasn't a bank account. It was an estate. It was property. The younger brother sells the estate, sells the land, sells his half, and turns it into cash. This younger brother knows what's up. Turns it into cash. Now, you can imagine the shame and the dishonor brought to the father. The father was this respectable man. He had an estate. He had land. He had servants. So this guy was up there. And he goes out of business, legally dead, for the sake of his sons. So the son, he, he goes off, and we read, he, he squanders it with wild living, that it says. Now, we have a lot of younger brother types in our culture here today. There's a, an idea that says, forget about what your parents taught you, forget about God, just go live your life however you want. If there is a God out there, he probably doesn't care how you live. Just go have fun and be free. Now, what's interesting about this story is that it says that a famine came, and eventually he had to hire himself out as a servant. You see, sin looks like freedom. It promises you freedom, but really, sin is slavery. Sin is slavery masquerading as freedom. Can I tell you, sin is fun for a season, but eventually a famine comes and you're bankrupt. Even if the famine doesn't come in the natural world, spiritually you will find that you are empty inside. The idols of our culture, through money, sex, fame, influence, even success in business. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but they're terrible masters. And these idols that we serve leave us empty and enslaved. So the younger brother goes from being son of this great man. The father gives him everything. He turns it all in, and the son finds himself a slave at the end of the day. So what happens is the younger brother gets this idea. He says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to my dad, and I don't deserve to be a son, but maybe, just maybe, he'll let me come back as, as a servant. So he, he tries to come back, and, and the father wants nothing to do with that. He accepts him back graciously with love. Can I tell you, when younger brothers come back to the church, maybe they were raised in church, they want to come back to the church, or maybe they're coming to God for the first time. Can I tell you, there is a temptation because of the guilt and shame of your past to say, I'm just going to come to God as a servant because I'm not worthy of being a son. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you have a past that you are not proud of, if you, are, if you have a past that you're ashamed of, I want to encourage you, do not trade sonship for servanthood. Do not settle for being a servant when the Father is calling you a son. The devil will try to trick you and to hold your past over your head. Listen, I'm not saying what you did wasn't that bad. The, the father, what, what the son did to the father was terrible. And can I tell you, that half of the inheritance never came back. What he did was terrible. But listen, here's the amazing thing about the father. 
the father loved to forgive more than the son loved to sin. Can I encourage you with that this morning? The father loves you more than you love sin. God loves to forgive more than you like to run off and do your own thing. God likes to chase down more than we like to run away. God likes to find more than we like to be lost. And so I can tell you there will never come a point when you have out-sinned the forgiveness of God. There will never come a point. God's love keeps coming and coming and coming, and he keeps forgiving and loving us even when we don't deserve it. Even when there's nothing that deserves it. Do not try to act to God as a servant because he calls you son. He calls you daughter. He's not going to hold your past over your head. Now, don't get me wrong. As Christians, we are called to serve. We are called to be servants. But listen, serving is the family business. Serving is what we do. But sons and daughters, that's who we are, church. Yes, we serve. Our Father is the greatest servant of all. I'm all about serving, but my identity does not come from my ability to serve Him. See, servants, their only value comes from how much work they produce. But sons are valued because it's who they are. Can I tell you, God has called you to be a son, He's called you to be a daughter. And I can tell you, there's no second-class citizens in this kingdom. There's only people on the outside and sons and daughters on the inside. That's all there is. There's only one class of citizen in this kingdom, and it's sonship. So I want to encourage you to build your identity on who God is, not on who you are. See, if you try to be like the younger brother, you'll start your identity by thinking about you. And you'll say, I'm not worthy. I've made mistakes. And then you'll work your way up to God and see, he's a master because I'm just a servant. But what this parable is telling us is to turn that upside down. Your identity doesn't start with who you are. Your identity starts with who God is. So God is a father. And so my identity then must be a son, whether or not I deserve it. So I want to uh, tell you this morning that we need to base our identity not on who we are, but on who he is. This is why the most important thing you can do is to think rightly about God. Because if you see him rightly, you'll see yourself rightly. So we start with God as a father, and then we orient our lives around this father that we're coming to. So that's that's the older brother. So the father throws this giant party for the younger brother. I'm sorry. So that's the younger brother. We're going to look here now at the older brother. Now, two books have really impacted my thinking on this parable and the older brother in particular. One is called Kingdom Grace Judgment. It's by uh, an Anglican minister called Robert Capon. Uh, it's a book where he writes a chapter on every single parable. So it's a book that's about 500 pages. I don't recommend it unless you have like about seven years to read the whole thing. So 
Uh, some of you are like, why do you read that stuff? I don't know. I'm really fun at parties, okay? So <laughs> he has this really, really interesting chapter, though, on the parable of the prodigal son, and it was very good. The second book is a book called Prodigal God, and it's by Timothy Keller. It's about 120 pages. It's all about this parable. It's very, very good. So I'm going to quote from both of these here in just a few minutes. But so the older brother, so the older brother, he's the guy who did everything right. The older brother is the guy who stayed in church his whole life. He didn't run off to the big city with some buckwild lifestyle. He's the one who stayed faithful to the dad. He's the one who was diligent. He was hardworking. And so when the party happens, he's ticked off. He hears music. He hears dancing. You know where the older brother is when the party happens? He's in the field working like a good older brother should be. Where else would you expect to find the older brother? So he's, he's working out in the field. But here's what's interesting. He is angry with the father. He refuses to go in. Now here's what I think is fascinating about this parable. It's not really a parable about one son who's far from the father. It's a parable about two sons who are far from the father. And I want to warn you this morning that like the older brother, you can be at odds with the father while you're in the father's house. See, listen, younger brothers, they know they're messed up. Dude wakes up in a pigsty. And for those of us who have lived a younger brother lifestyle, you know that. But older brothers, and this is the warning, older brothers think that because they're in the father's house, that they're close to the father relationally. And that's not the same thing. His older brother is at odds with his father, and he's been the good guy all along. So let's break down what's happening with this older brother. I want to reread a few verses here. Luke 15, 29 through 30. It says, the, the older brother answered his father, look. Look at how he starts with that. Look. He's not saying like, yes, father, let's have a discussion. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I know that's what I would do with my friends. We get a goat and we just have fun. <laughs> so he said, when this son of yours, he can't even call him his brother. When this son of yours comes home, who squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So it's interesting here. He says, I've been slaving for you all these years. Here's what's interesting about this. I looked up the word in the Greek, that word slave there, slaving, it's the literal word for bondage and slavery. So here's why this is crazy. The, the younger brother he ends up a servant to somebody else. He's enslaved to sin. But the older brother is a slave in his own house. The older brother is a, a slave when he owns everything. Remember, in the beginning of the story, the father was legally dead. He gave everything to one son and the other son. He was out of business. So the older brother is the guy who owns the whole estate. And he's acting like a slave. What the older brother did not understand 
was the same thing the younger brother didn't understand. Everything that the older brother had was not his because he was the super hard worker out in the field when everybody was dancing. Everything was his because the father's generosity. Everything was his because it was the father's free gift. The father basically died so the son could have everything. So what we see then in this story is this response from the father, which is shocking and fascinating. Here's what he says, his response. My son, the father says. Notice this. Before the father smacks you upside the head, he's going to remind you that you're a son. He's going to tell you what you need to hear. He's going to tell you what you need to know. But first, he says, first of all, you're not a slave. First of all, you haven't been slaving for anything. You didn't need to wait for me to give you a goat or a fattened calf. You could have killed all the fattened calves anytime you wanted because they're yours. And so he says, first of all, you haven't been slaving for anyone. You're a son. You are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, what we see in this story is two basic approaches to God. There's the way of the younger brother. Now, the younger brother way basically says, if God is real, he's probably a great guy, super generous, live however you want, it doesn't matter. That's the younger brother way of approaching God. Now, the older brother way of approaching God is a traditional religious way which says, if you work hard and follow the rules, God will love you and accept you. Here's the fascinating thing. The gospel is not the younger brother's way, and it's not the older brother's way either. The gospel is the father's way. What is the father's way? The father's way is that he has died so that his sons could have everything for free. Can I tell you, if somebody has told you that the gospel is about you working hard so God loves you and accepts you, you've been fed a false gospel, which is an older brother gospel. The gospel is not about how hard you have to work. The gospel is that the generosity of somebody else has given you everything for free. See, what happens is religion makes you a slave in your own house. Religion will make you work for the things that already belong to you. You don't need to earn God's love and acceptance any more than you can earn an inheritance when a relative dies. You don't get that inheritance because you were great and awesome. You get it because it's who you are as a relative. And what Jesus is saying here in this story is this is a picture of his own ministry. That the death of somebody else has freely given you everything that you need. I want to talk for a few final moments here about the older brother. I'm sorry, about the father. So the younger brother has his, his wild lifestyle, wasting everything. The older brother has his do-good morality. I've kept all the rules, therefore I deserve these certain things. So let's talk about the father now. 
What it says here is that the father, when his son was still a long way off, he ran to him. Now, I can tell you from studying ancient cultures, uh, a, a nobleman, a wealthy person, somebody who was established or an official, they didn't run anywhere. You don't see Trump running down the side of the road. If the president is running, something must be happening, and I'm going to be running too. Dignified people don't run. People come to them. But here's the crazy thing about this father, is that we do not serve a dignified God. We do not serve a God who says, if you're good enough, you can come to me. He says, I will run to you. He's not waiting for you to come to him. He's been running after you all along. He's the shepherd leaving everything to go find that lost sheep. He's the woman throwing a party because she found a coin. God is this ridiculous partier who will leave everything behind to find what he's lost. This is not a respectable God. This is not a dignified God. This is a, a father, Jesus tells us in this story, who when his sons asked for everything, when his one son asked for everything, he freely gave everything that he had away. Can I tell you, that's not how we run the church's finances. We don't run till we're bankrupt. That's not how I run my finances. That's not how you run your finances. But the father in this story gives and gives and gives until he has nothing left. The father is bankrupt. The father is out of business. And then he throws a party for the younger brother with the older brother's stuff. He's giving other people's stuff away too because he already gave everything he had away. He kills the fattened calf that belongs to his other son. This guy gives and gives and gives till he has nothing left, even his own life. Can I tell you, Jesus is telling us that that's what God is like. I want to read to you a quote from Timothy Keller's Prodigal God. He said, the word prodigal does not mean wayward, but according to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, it means recklessly spendthrift. It means to spend until you have nothing left. This term is therefore as appropriate for describing the father in this story as much as his younger son. The father's welcome to the repentant son was literally reckless because he refused to count his sin against him or demand repayment. He said the father's love is reckless. Is the younger son prodigal? Does he spend everything? Yes, but even more prodigal is the father who spends and gives everything that he has away. Can I tell you, you and I serve a prodigal Savior. We serve a reckless Savior. We serve a generous Savior who gives and gives and gives until he has nothing left. He even gives away his own life so that you and I would not have to work or earn anything but receive the inheritance as sons. Receive the inheritance as sons and daughters. I want to challenge you. Religion will make you work for what the Father has given you for free. Religion will tell you you have to earn something, and it will make you a slave in your own house. And I want to tell you, 
God has, has been passionate about finding the things he's lost, and he's passionate about throwing a party. This is a God who spends everything that he has on the party. Spend everything that he had so that you and I could enter into the feast that he has prepared. Can I tell you this morning, God is holier than you. He is wiser than you. He is more powerful than you. But listen, he also likes to party more than you. He's also happier than you. Think about this for a minute. The being that sustains the whole universe at his core is bursting with joy. Sometimes we think about a God who's just this serious master up in the heavens, this serious guy that we have to serve. And I want to tell you, the God who exists, not just in the heavens, but came to earth, came to throw a party. I want to read a quote from Kingdom Grace Judgment. Here's what Robert Capon says about this parable. He says, it tells us that creation is not ultimately about religion or spirituality or morality or reconciliation or any other solemn subject. It's about God having a good time and just itching to share it. The solemn subjects, all the weird little bells, whistles, and exploding snappers we pay so much attention to, are only there because we are a bunch of dummies who have to be startled into having a good time. If we ever once woke up to the fact that God only cares about the party, then the truly serious subjects will be brought on. Robes, rings, shoes, wines, and gold. He says those are the serious subjects that God is passionate about. God is not interested in younger brothers with their buckwild living, but he's also not interested in older brothers who think they have to earn what the Father's trying to give them for free. You see, Jesus is telling this story to these religious leaders because he was going around partying with sinners. Basically, Jesus is the Father going out to these older brothers, and he's telling them why he's partying with younger brothers. And he's telling these older brothers, listen, you can come in and join the party. Yeah, but the younger brother doesn't deserve it. Yeah, of course he doesn't. It was never about him deserving it. Can I tell you, it's true. There is no party for younger brothers who don't come back home. There's no party for the sheep who's still gone. There's no party for the coin that's still lost. So don't get me wrong. We do have to repent and turn back to the Father. I'm not saying just live a younger brother life and do whatever you want. You have to come home. You have to repent. But listen, there's no party for older brothers either. Not because the older brothers don't deserve it, but because they're too busy working to enjoy it. The older brothers don't think they deserve a party because they're still trying to work for what the Father freely gave them. And so the invitation of the gospel is a party invitation. It's an invitation to give up your younger brother ways and to give up your older brother ways and to come in to the meal prepared by the death of Jesus. Come into the party prepared by this prodigal God. 
come into the party prepared by this reckless, generous, spending God who gave everything, even his own life, just to have a party. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. That's what God cares about. He cares about you and I coming in to the party as sons and daughters. 